This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Speaking to his flock in the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon, we join Archbishop Alexander Sample as he reflects upon our faith, culture, and life in the church on The Voice of the Shepherd. Joining Archbishop Sample is your host, Dina Marie Hale. And now, The Voice of the Shepherd. Greetings, everyone, and thank you for joining us on The Voice of the Shepherd. Today on our program, we're going to focus on a gathering of shepherds. And Archbishop, (laughs) you have been traveling here and there. We just had a wonderful pastoral assembly here locally in the Archdiocese of Portland. I've heard all rave reviews from everybody. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear it. It was a wonderful gathering. And the bishops, you all gathered uh, the middle of November. So a lot of things going on (laughs) to grow the faith, but to encounter Christ. So that's what I want to focus on as we begin today. Would you help us start leading us in prayer? In the name of the Father and of the Son. And of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, as we enter in upon this great season of preparation for the coming of your Son, Jesus, we ask you to send your Holy Spirit to stir in our hearts and prepare there a welcome for him to come again. We ask you to send that same Spirit upon all of our listeners to this radio broadcast, Father, that you open and prepare their hearts to receive a word you wish to them to hear for their encouragement in their walk with your son, Jesus. And all of this we ask through the same Christ, our Lord. Amen. O Mary conceived without sin, pray for us who have recourse to thee. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, I told you before we went on air that I actually watched the live stream (laughs) of the USCCB meetings, and they made them available, some of your meetings, and I was stuck in the windstorms all week. And so, but I thought it was interesting, and it was, I think, a time for me to offer prayers for all of you, knowing that you're all there uh, representing all of us and our, our Catholic faith. And so, on a regular basis, this time of the year, the bishops right. come the, together. The, the bishops meet. You know, maybe uh, maybe a lot of people don't realize this, but the bishops meet uh, twice a year. Uh, when I say the bishops, I mean all of the bishops of the United States come together twice a year uh, to gather uh, to you know deliberate and pray and 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 that over the the ministry and the life of the church here in, in the United States. We meet always in Baltimore in November. This is our kind of our annual, our main assembly uh, gathering. Is every November? Then we call it. We call it literally the November meeting. <laughs> it's always in Baltimore. Gosh, I think we've been at the same hotel facility for as long as I've been a bishop, and it, long before I was a bishop. Uh, so this is a major gathering where we address issues of the life of the church in the United States. And then we always gather in June as well. Mm-hmm. So we have a June meeting as well, which is shorter. And uh, every three years, the June meeting is, isn't a business meeting, but more like a retreat. In fact, we just had one. I think we talked about that maybe. Uh, mm-hmm. We just had that in uh, this last June, which is more of a retreat you know, kind of atmosphere down in San Diego. So, yes, yeah, so this was a major business meeting, so lots lots to do uh, uh, as we uh, – and one of the things that has changed, and I would like to point this out for people, 
One of the things that has changed in our format for these November meetings is we used to gather, uh, and boy, Monday morning, right out of the gate, business, 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 business. And we'd be all about the, the business of the conference, the U.S. Conference of Bishops, all week long, having discussions, approving documents, you know, just doing all kinds of things that, that affect the life of the church here. And then on Thursday, our last day together in the morning, would be a, a time for prayer and reflection. So we would gather with the Eucharistic Holy Hour. There would be confessors there available for the bishops to go to confession. One of the bishops uh, would give a little reflection for us to have. And then we, so we would end our time together in prayer. Well, we've changed that. Now we start with prayer. Yeah. And our whole first day, that Monday, mm. is a day dedicated to prayer. And uh, we spend time in Eucharistic adoration. We like I said, we have a bishop give us a little reflection for our thoughts. We have the opportunity to go to confession. I went to confession, which is always wonderful to, mm-hmm. to do. And then mm-hmm. we go into the work. And I, I can tell you something. It really has changed the, the tenor of the meeting by beginning with prayer. Uh, and I think we really need to do this more. And, and not just to pray before we do our work, but to pray to know what our work should be to really discern through the gift of the Holy Spirit in prayer before our Lord, what, Lord, do you want of us, your shepherds? And it really has made a tremendous impact on our time together to begin in prayer. And I can tell you that you can just feel the continued guidance of the the Spirit uh, throughout the rest of the meeting. I think we have a lot to learn from that, Archbishop, and you've talked about that before, to have that time of focused prayer, but Jesus where where are we going here? Where am I going here in this ministry? You've got certain questions on your heart. You've got certain things that you may be deliberating. But ultimately, what's his will? And right. to know that that time is meant to hear the Lord's guidance. Yeah, you know, a lot of times, you know, sadly, we bishops can get so wrapped up in the administrative detail work of, of, of being bishops um, and the governance that goes with that and the administrative piece that goes with that. And even that at the conference level, at the U.S. Bishops Conference level, uh, it can look very businesslike. Uh, but we're not a business. Mm-hmm. We're the church. We're the body of Christ. We're the mystical body of Christ. Our mission is to proclaim Jesus Christ to the world. And, and so we need to be listening to the Lord and what the Lord is, is leading us to do. And I hope as time goes on more and more and more, uh, we bishops will be attentive to the voice of the Holy Spirit and really discerning you know, what the, what the Spirit is saying to the church uh, right. today. Right. Well, give us a sense. There were so many things, presentations, obviously the elections, so you have the new president, right. vice president, all the different committees. But really for you, as you went through those days, maybe some highlights of some of the discussions, some of the presentations that really, maybe really particularly for you as a shepherd here in Western Oregon, touch your ministry. Right, right. We, we, you know, we, there was one liturgical piece at this meeting. It's, it's nothing of, of huge significance, but uh, we issued a new ritual for the pastoral care of the sick, the anointing of the sick, mm-hmm. just to try to make, quite honestly, the ritual a little bit more user-friendly. Those of us who have I've been a priest for 32 years, the ritual we have now is a little bit cumbersome to work with, actually. And so just to try to rearrange it and, and include some new things in it that will help us. Also, a, a book uh, uh, that will be 
um, for just for the use of the laity who do ministry to the sick. So it's pulling out of the overall ritual those things that, that lay people can lead so that they have kind of their own little ritual when, when, when they take care of the sick. So that was, you know, kind of the liturgical piece. We approved a new, uh, the liturgical prayers for the feast of uh, Pope St. Paul VI and also Our, Our Lady of Loretto. Mm. Um, then another piece that, that we, we did which was significant was we, we made a decision about uh, what to do with our document on uh, faithful citizenship. This was a, a big discussion that we had. We had a discussion about this in our, in our regions. The conference is divided into 15 regions, so we have regional meetings as well during the meeting. So we discussed this in our regional meetings and then brought it to the floor for a larger discussion because we need to decide what we're going to do uh, with faithful citizenship. This is our document, Forming Consciences for Faithful Citizenship. It's largely viewed as uh, the bishop's, U.S. Bishop's Guide uh, to our, our people in terms of how to exercise their civic responsibility, mm-hmm. especially through voting. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this document was written several years ago, um, but it's, and it hasn't been significantly updated, the document itself, uh, but the bishops have issued a uh, cover letter, if you will, each year or every couple of years, I should say, that gives you know some attention to current uh, event issues. Because the document itself, Forming Consciences for Faithful Citizenship, is more the principles, laying out the principles in all areas of, of civic life uh, that the church needs to weigh in on. Um, but certain issues get highlighted from time to time. They become They come to the fore. They're more important at a certain time. So that cover letter introductory letter is, is revised uh, to, to take into account current events, uh, current papal teaching, etc. Um, so what we decided to do was to keep the document for now as it is, to not modify the, the overall doc, document, but then to uh, in, in, for the next election cycle, two-year cycle, to have a new introductory letter, again, that will highlight current event issues, more recent papal teaching, the thinking of the Holy Father, etc., but also, there was a recognition that very few people read this document. I mean, it, to be honest, very, it's, it's long, mm-hmm. it's detailed, and if you want to really dive into it, it's a great laying out of, of a Catholic civic responsibility, but we realize that it's too much for a lot of people to read. So we're going to also um, do a shorter, more kind of a bulletin insert length summary of the document so that people can see it in shorter form, and also some video uh, presentation material, so that'll be a little bit easier to guide people. So that that was kind of kind kind of significant. You know, one of the one of the things that 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 happened during the meeting, of course, we had an incredible uh, uh, presentation on on the terrible situation of of our good friends and brothers and sisters in the Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was a very very uh, moving and uh, really. Uh, very informative presentation on the, the status of things uh, in in the Ukraine. I think you know even if even if we are uh, following, if you will, uh, the news, you don't get a real picture no. of it. And so Archbishop uh, Boris Gudziak, who is the uh, uh, Ukrainian eparch uh, in Chicago here in the United States, so he's he's. Uh, he's, he's a major figure, a bishop in the church here in the United States, but for the Ukrainian Catholics, he gave us a presentation on the real kind of the uh, sort of like here's the real story of what's going mm-hmm. on in the Ukraine, and it was heart wrenching mm-hmm. to hear the suffering uh, 
uh, of the people uh, in in the Ukraine under under what the the, the Soviet uh, well not the Soviet Union what Russia is is doing. Yes, the tremendous suffering and 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 the gratitude that uh, uh, Archbishop Guziak uh, showed for the rest of the Church in the States having come to the aid of 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 the Ukrainian people through financial aid through refugee settlement. I I, I immediately. Uh, immediately contacted uh, back home here when I went after his presentation to make sure that our own Catholic Charities Agency here was planning to be involved in, in refugee resettlement from the Ukraine. And I'm very thrilled to hear that uh, they're, they're in the process of putting together a program to receive uh, immigrant uh, uh, refugees, really, mm-hmm. from, from the uh, uh, from the Ukraine, uh, but a really a heart wrenching situation. I don't. You 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 indicated to me, uh, Dina Marie, that you were very uh, touched by that as well. It was amazing, and to hear the way he described the people of Ukraine, how much uh, focus on the dignity of the human person, the the common good, that people are taking care of one another. And he said this: people are defending the innocent. No act of good is lost or without fruit. And, you know, we see the horror and we see the war and then there is a, a lot, 14 million plus people displaced. Um, yet somehow the Lord is using all of this for good. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things. And so what is it? How can I be part of that good? Can can we be welcoming it? And I did see numbers that Hillsborough, Portland, Eugene, uh, there's at least 4,000 refugees that were were cited on his statistics mm-hmm. that have been welcoming these refugees. So Oregon is doing her part yes, to welcome and to bring, and I think more and more families will do that. But he did ask for our prayers. Yes. Um, and I know, Archbishop, you have had us come together in the cathedral to pray for the persecuted Christians, to pray for those yeah. with aid in um Aid to the church aid in to need. to the church in need. That, that that's part of your role as our yeah. shepherd to remind us when we need to come together and who do we go to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Yeah, that was very touching. One of the other, you know, not so much a business item, but, you know, we're, we're celebrating, celebrating, commemorating uh, the 20 year anniversary of the Charter for the Protection of Children and Young People. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this was, if, if our folks remember, in the year 2002 when the Boston Globe story broke and there was this huge uh, explosion in revelations of, of sexual abuse by clergy in the church. It was, it was shocking. It was, it was a, a earthquake that really went through the church in the United States. Really, it was what precipitated this archdiocese itself going through the horrible process of bankruptcy. But as a result of that, at the Dallas meeting in 2002, the June meeting of the bishops mm-hmm. in 2002, they produced the Charter for the Protection of Children and Young People. So this is the 20th anniversary of the Charter this year. And uh, so there was a presentation about that. And one of those speakers was one of the most moving talks that I heard uh, at this meeting was, was a, a victim survivor of clergy sexual abuse, got up in front of all of the bishops of the United mm-hmm. States and spoke to us from the heart. Uh, his his name was Mark Williams, um, and he's befriended to become very close to Cardinal Tobin, the Archbishop of Newark. And uh, this man, uh, Mark Williams, shared from his heart his 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 experience not 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 in details, but 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 what I was struck by was this man's faith. What a profound faith this man has. 
and he recognizes that his healing uh, will come only through Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. He spoke with such eloquence uh, uh, about faith, you know, and, and, and he's got a, obviously a very deep faith. As much as he's committed mm-hmm. to, you know, the, the insurance that the charter will continue to be present and enforced and, and will be there to continue to protect children and young people, but also to, to reach out and, and help victims, uh, survivors of sexual abuse, uh, to better screen and inform the men who do become priests. Uh, but, but what struck me in his presentation more than anything else, and I, and I was literally sitting there in tears, uh, thinking, wow, after all this man has been through, look at his faith. Look at his faith in Jesus Christ. Look at his relationship with Jesus. And look at his love still for the church. It was, it was amazing. So that, that to me, was, was just a very, very powerful presentation. You could feel it in the room. You could feel it in the room. And, and the bishops, when he was finished speaking, it really just gave him a, a rousing, standing uh, ovation. Uh, and it was, it was not so much, uh, uh, you know, a standing ovation for a great talk that somebody had just given. It was, I could, you could feel it as an expression of love mm-hmm. on the part of the shepherds for this man who has suffered much, but then who can, can stand up there and give a powerful witness to the healing grace and power of Jesus Christ in his life. It was really beautiful. Mm. And isn't that what it's all about is witnessing? How has the Lord worked in our, my life? And we recognize that when we go through suffering. I mean, this is when we recognize what, what our faith is all about is when we and our loved ones undergo such suffering, we identify. Right. You know, it, we're, we're all, I mean, the, the Paschal mystery, uh, you know, mm-hmm. being, being saved through the passion, the suffering, the death and the resurrection uh, uh, of Jesus Christ. Uh, that's the mystery that we are called to live in our own lives. Mm-hmm. We're all called to participate in the Paschal mystery, the dying and the rising of Jesus. And I can see in this man that, that he, has, he has experienced that in a most special way, in a very profound way, in a very, a very horrible way. And yet uh, you could see the transformation through his suffering. He has been transformed. Uh, and uh, I think it's just a powerful way because we all go through suffering in life. Yeah. Pray God, you know, uh, uh, nobody will, will ever have to experience that kind of suffering again, especially at the hands of one who's to represent Christ. Um, but we all go through the Paschal mystery in our own lives. We all live the Paschal mystery. And if we can imitate the faith of a man like this the, to go th- through something, but then to find the grace and the healing and the power of Christ in the midst of that suffering to transform it into life and, and resurrection is just, I think, is a great lesson for all of us. Yeah. So many things that I know you guys discussed. I think one thing that was interesting to me was in the month of November, your gathering, and you had the opportunity to discuss a couple of causes of canonizations yeah. of women yes. from the United States. Yeah, three and women. we don't always get to see that. I always think, oh, it's somebody from Italy or, but these, <laughs> yeah. were, these were what, Utah and Texas and I want to say one of the Dakotas, um, a woman who died from cancer just not too many years yeah, ago. Yeah, very young, a very, very young. She was 31, yes, I think, yes, when she yeah, died. She, uh, yeah, Michelle? Michelle Dupont. Mm-hmm. 
uh, a laywoman, a young laywoman who died from cancer, but apparently through her, oh, she was just a very wonderful, saintly person to begin with, but through her suffering, uh, through that their very untimely and young death, she just gave a powerful witness to many people around her that her reputation for holiness already, you know, was was present, which is, you know, one of the requirements for uh, for uh, uh, you know, holiness. Another one, uh, a, a woman uh, from Monterey, uh, California, uh, Cora Louise Evans. Uh, she was an interesting story. There, she was a she had grown up in in Utah, was a Mormon, mm-hmm. uh, became a Catholic, and she and her husband uh, moved to California. And she just she was a, apparently a mystic, and and uh, had uh, you know special experiences of, of Jesus in her life. And uh, yeah, which just has a great reputation for sanctity, and and uh, especially among many of the people still talk about her. And I think she died. Um, I don't know when when, when she died. Not too long ago, no, but no, a couple was, of decades but she was, this ago. Is, you know, she was going through her conversion, like I think in the 30s and 40s, yeah. and and that. Uh, yeah, and then this foundress of of the Sisters of the Holy Spirit and, and Mary Immaculate, you know, and and many of the bishops got up and. And talked about how the ripple effects of her ministry through their lives as they experienced the ministry of these sisters, you know. So, yeah, it's wonderful. Three women, three American women being held up uh, as, as possible saints for the church, you know. And, and uh, one religious and two laywomen, you right. know. That's a, that's a beautiful witness. Yeah, and it just reminds me, each in our own lives, we're called to that life of holiness and how we follow the Lord Jesus Christ in that. But I think it's something that we can pray about. And, then and yes, in three very different examples of three different very, very vocations. Different. Mm-hmm. But in each of those vocations, the call to holiness is there for all. And it's for all of us. And that's that's really what the saints uh, really are, are about for us, is, is they're, they're models and examples of how the grace of God can work in a person's life from all sorts of different backgrounds. Even some, some of the greatest saints of the church were at one time some of the, the worst sinners uh, of the church, you know, St. Augustine, uh, St. Ignatius of Loyola, you know, led very, you know, dissolute lives before coming to a deep faith in Christ, and then their lives have been transformed. There's so many examples like that. In other words, you know, saints, I think we sometimes, you know, think saints, you know, were, were kind of born with a halo. You know, they weren't. Mm-hmm. Many of them underwent profound conversions in their life and transformations, and that's what an encounter with Jesus Christ is meant to do. It's meant to make a transformation of our life, a life-giving, transformative encounter with Jesus can change a person uh, and, and really make them a saint. And that is for you and for me. It's for all of us, according to our own state in life. Right. Two of the different, one here in the United States, but also internationally, World Youth Day 2023 Mm -hmm. is coming around the corner. There is a presentation about that. Uh, The Eucharistic Revival continues, and there's a lot of anticipation of what's going to happen next year. But maybe your thoughts about these two, which really focus on our teens, our young adults, our families really coming together right. but I think experiencing that, you know, Jesus. Saint John, Pope St. John Paul II, you know, inaugurated the World Youth Day and it continues to bear great fruit in the church. It'll be in Lisbon, Portugal next year. Uh, we're, we'll be taking a pilgrimage yeah. here from the Archdiocese. I'll be going. Uh, it's just a wonderful encounter with young people from all over the world and a pilgrimage, truly a, 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 a gathering together in one place. And it's just a very powerful, I think it's a great experience for young people to see others 
uh, like them from all over the world who are in love with Jesus Christ and who, who are excited about their faith and the church and, and want to live and witness to their faith. But this Eucharistic revival that the bishops of the United States have set about here in the United States uh, is, is really significant, that, that we really uh, hope to spark that revival, that renewal uh, of, of faith in the Eucharist, in the Holy Mass, in the, in the real presence of Christ. This really was precipitated initially by that poll that came out some years ago that indicated that quite a shockingly low percentage of Catholics profess an accurate belief in, in the Eucharist, in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. So that was an alarm that went off for the bishops. Well, then the pandemic came, and people, you know, uh, were not able to come in presence and physically present to church for a while and, and, and then continue to, to live stream as bishops, you know, had dispensed from the obligation to attend Mass. But now there's a struggle to get our folks to return uh, and come back to the Eucharist. And so this Eucharistic revival is, is a response to really both of these realities to try to bring uh, about a, really a renewal of, of faith in, in the Eucharist, which is rooted in a deeper relationship with Christ, again, it's come to me, and this is going to be kind of hard to explain, but, you know, if, to me, if, if, if we really believe that Jesus Christ is present, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Holy Eucharist, gosh, you know, you, you'd have to, you know, you know, nothing could keep me away. So maybe there's a deeper problem of what is our relationship with Jesus Christ? Who do we believe Jesus to be? You know, he is sovereign Lord. He is the eternal Son of God made flesh. He is the second person of the Most Holy Trinity in the flesh incarnate of the Virgin Mary. So if we really know who Jesus is and if we have that encounter with him that has changed our life and then we know that he's present in the Eucharist, gosh, we should just be beating down the doors to get close to him. So this Eucharistic revival is going to be amazing. It's going to be at the at the diocesan level, at the parish level, and then on a national level, there's going to be a national Eucharistic uh, gathering, assembly uh, in Indianapolis. And there's actually going to be a, a, a procession with the Blessed Sacrament from four directions, all converging from the West Coast to, the, to Indianapolis, from the East Coast to Indianapolis, from the North in, the, in, the, in Minnesota, south, uh, from the south-north, all to converge. And, and we're going to carry the Eucharist across the country. I love it. In procession, in pilgrimage. Uh, it's going to be amazing. I think it's going to be one of those things that people are going to talk about for a long mm-hmm. time to come. Well, we will continue to talk about that and share about that. Number one, we'll share about Jesus Christ every week in our program. And with that, we're grateful you're home safe and sound, Archbishop. Would you please help us close with your blessing? And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit come down upon all of you, your families, and your loved ones, and be with you this day and forever. Amen. Amen. And thank you all for joining us on The Voice of the Shepherd. For Archbishop Alexander Sample, I'm Dina Marie Hale. And until our next encounter, have a blessed week. You've been listening to The Voice of the Shepherd with Archbishop Alexander Sample, a production of the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon. To subscribe to this podcast and access to all of our past shows, visit moderndayradio.com. Please email your comments and questions for the show to info at archdpdx.org. Learn more about the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon online at archdpdx.org. 
peace be with you. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can support this vital mission of evangelization through MaterDayRadio.com or the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary.